Welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Please write to me with your questions, comments, suggestions at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And now for J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, Chapter 20. I kept sitting there getting drunk and waiting for old Tina and Janine to come out and do their stuff, but they weren't there. A footy-looking guy with wavy hair came out and played the piano, and then this new babe, Valencia, came out and sang. She wasn't any good, but she was better than old Tina and Janine. At least she sang good songs. The piano was right next to the bar where I was sitting and all, and old Valencia was standing practically right next to me. I sort of gave her the old eye, but she pretended she didn't even see me. I probably wouldn't have done it, but I was getting drunk as hell. When she was finished, she beat it out of the room so fast I didn't even get a chance to invite her to join me for a drink, so I called the head waiter over. I told him to ask old Valencia if she'd care to join me for a drink. He said he would, but he probably didn't even give her my message. People never give your message to anybody. Boy, I sat at that goddamn bar till around one o'clock or so, getting drunk as a bastard. I could hardly see straight. The one thing I did, though, I was careful as hell not to get boisterous or anything. I didn't want anybody to notice me or anything or ask how old I was, but boy, I could hardly see straight. When I was really drunk, I started that stupid business with the bullet in my guts again. I was the only guy at the bar with the bullet in their guts. I kept putting my hand under my jacket on my stomach and all to keep the blood from dripping all over the place. I didn't want anybody to know I was even wounded. I was concealing the fact that I was a wounded son of a bitch. Finally, what I felt like, I felt like giving old Jane a buzz and see if she was home yet. So I paid my check and all. Then I left the bar and went out of there where the telephones were. I kept keeping my hand under my jacket to keep the blood from dripping. Boy, was I drunk. But when I got inside this phone booth, I wasn't much in the mood anymore to give old Jane a buzz. I was too drunk, I guess. So what I did, I gave old Sally Hayes a buzz. I had to dial about twenty numbers before I got the right one. Boy, was I blind. Hello, I said when somebody answered the goddamn phone. I sort of yelled it. I was so drunk. Who is this? The very cold lady's voice said. This is me, Holden Caulfield. Let me speak a Sally, please. Sally's asleep. This is Sally's grandmother. Why are you calling at this hour, Holden? Do you know what time it is? Yeah, I want to talk a Sally. Very important. Put her on. "'Sally's asleep, young man. Call her tomorrow. Good night.' "'Wake her up! Wake her up, hey? Atta boy!' Then there was a different voice. "'Holden, this is me.' It was old Sally. "'What's the big idea?' "'Sally? That you?' "'Yes, stop screaming. Are you drunk?' "'Yeah, listen. Listen, hey. I'll come over Christmas Eve, okay? Trim a goddamn tree for you, okay? Okay, hey, Sally?' "'Yes, you're drunk. Go to bed now. Where are you?' Who's with you? Sally, I'll come over and trim a tree for you, okay? Okay? Hey. Yes. Go to bed now. Where are you? Who's with you? Nobody. Me, myself, and I. Boy, was I drunk. I was even still holding on to my guts. They got me. Rocky's mob got me. You know that? Sally, you know that? I can't hear you. Go to bed now. I have to go. Call me tomorrow. Hey, Sally, you want me to trim a tree for you? You want me to, huh? Yes. Good night. Go home and go to bed. She hung up on me. Good night. Good night. Sally, babe. Sally, sweetheart, darling. I said, can you imagine how drunk I was? I hung up too then. I figured she probably just came home from a date. 
I pictured her out with the lunts and all somewhere, and that Andover jerk, all of them swimming around in a goddamn pot of tea and saying sophisticated stuff to each other and being charming and phony. I wish to God I hadn't even phoned her. When I'm drunk, I'm a madman. I stayed in the damn phone booth for quite a while. I kept holding on to the phone, sort of, so I wouldn't pass out. I wasn't feeling too marvelous, to tell you the truth. Finally, though, I came out and went into the men's room, staggering around like a moron, and filled one of the washing bowls with cold water. Then I dunked my head in it, right up to my ears. I didn't even bother to dry it or anything. I just let the son of a bitch drip. Then I walked over to this radiator by the window and sat down on it. It was nice and warm. It felt good because I was shivering like a bastard. It's a funny thing. I always shiver like hell when I'm drunk. I didn't have anything else to do, so I kept sitting on the radiator and counting these little white squares on the floor. I was getting soaked. About a gallon of water was dripping down my neck, getting all over my collar and tie and all, but I didn't give a damn. I was too drunk to give a damn. Then, pretty soon, the guy that played the piano for Ovalencia, this very wavy-haired, flitty-looking guy, came in to the comb, came in to comb his golden locks. We sort of struck up a conversation while he was combing it, except that he wasn't too goddamn friendly. Hey, you gonna see that Valencia babe when you go back in the bar? I asked him. It's highly probable, he said. Witty bastard. All I ever meet is witty bastards. Listen, give her my compliments. Ask her if that goddamn waiter gave her my message, will ya? Why don't you go home, Mac? How old are you anyway? Eighty-six. Listen, give her my compliments, okay? Why don't you go home, Mac? Not me. Boy, you can play that goddamn piano, I told him. I was just flattering him. He played the piano stinking, if you want to know the truth. You ought to go on the radio, I said. Handsome chap like you. All those goddamn golden locks. You need a manager? Go home, Mac, like a good guy. Go home and hit the sack. No home to go to. No kidding. You need a manager? He didn't answer me. He just went out. He was all through combing his hair and patting it and all, so he left. Like Stradlater. All these handsome guys are the same. When they're done combing their goddamn hair, they beat it on you. When I finally got down off the radiator and went out to the hat-check room, I was crying and all. I don't know why, but I was. I guess it was because I was feeling so damn depressed and lonesome. Then, when I went out to the check room, I couldn't find my goddamn check. The hat-check girl was very nice about it, though. She gave me my coat anyway, and my little Shirley Beans record. I still had it with me and all. I gave her a buck for being so nice, but she wouldn't take it. She kept telling me to go home and go to bed. I sort of tried to make a date with her for when she got through working, but she wouldn't do it. She said she was old enough to be my mother and all. I showed her my goddamn gray hair and told her I was forty-two. I was only horsing around, naturally. She was nice, though. I showed her my goddamn red hunting hat, and she liked it. She made me put it on before I went out, because my hair was still pretty wet. She was all right. I didn't feel too drunk any more when I went outside, but it was getting very cold out again, and my teeth started chattering like hell. I couldn't make them stop. I walked over to Madison Avenue and started to wait around for a bus, because I didn't have hardly any money left, and I had to start economizing on cabs and all. But I didn't feel like getting on a goddamn bus. And besides, I didn't even know where I was supposed to go. So what I did, I started walking over to the park. I figured I'd go by that little lake and see what the hell the ducks were doing, see if they were around or not. 
I still didn't know if they were around or not. It wasn't far over to the park, and I didn't have any place else special to go. I didn't even know where I was going to sleep yet, so I went. I wasn't tired or anything. I just felt blue as hell. Then something terrible happened just as I got into the park. I dropped old Phoebe's record. It broke into about fifty pieces. It was in a big envelope and all, but it broke anyway. I damn near cried. It made me feel so terrible, but all I did was I took the pieces out of the envelope and put them in my coat pocket. They weren't any good for anything, but I didn't feel like just throwing them away. Then I went in the park. Boy, was it dark. I've lived in New York all my life, and I know Central Park like the back of my hand because I used to roller skate there all the time and ride my back my bike when I was a kid. But I had the most terrific trouble finding that lagoon that night. I knew right where it was. It was right near Central Park, south and all, but I still couldn't find it. I must have been drunker than I thought. I kept walking and walking, and it kept getting darker and darker and spookier and spookier. I didn't see one person the whole time I was in the park. I'm just as glad. I probably would have jumped about a mile if I had. Then finally, I found it. What it was, it was partly frozen and partly not frozen. But I didn't see any ducks around. I walked all around the whole damn lake. I damn near fell in once, in fact, but I didn't see a single duck. I thought maybe if there were any around, they might be asleep or something near the edge of the water, near the grass and all. That's how I nearly fell in, but I couldn't find any. Finally, I sat down on this bench where it wasn't so goddamn dark. Boy, I was shivering like a bastard, and the back of my hair, even though I had my hunting hat on, was sort of full of little chunks of ice. That worried me. I thought probably I'd get pneumonia and die. I started picturing millions of jerks coming to my funeral and all. My grandfather from Detroit that keeps calling out the numbers of the streets when you ride on a goddamn bus with him. And my aunts. I have about fifty aunts. And all my lousy cousins. What a mob would be there. They'd all, they all came when Allie died, the whole goddamn stupid bunch of them. I have this one stupid aunt with halitosis that kept saying how peaceful he looked lying there, D.B. told me. I wasn't there. I was still in the hospital. I had to go to the hospital and all after I hurt my hand. Anyway, I kept worrying that I was getting pneumonia with all those hunks of ice in my hair and that I was going to die. I felt sorry as hell for my mother and father, especially my mother because she still isn't over my brother Allie yet. I kept picturing her not knowing what to do with all my suits and athletic equipment and all. The only good thing... I knew she wouldn't let old Phoebe come to my goddamn funeral because she was only a little kid. That was the only good part. Then I thought about the whole bunch of them sticking me in a goddamn cemetery and all, with my name on this tombstone and all, surrounded by dead guys. Boy, when you're dead, they really fix you up. I hope to hell when I do die, somebody has sense enough to just dump me in the river or something. Except anything except sticking me in a goddamn cemetery. People coming and putting a bunch of flowers on your stomach on Sunday. And all that crap. Who wants flowers when you're dead? Nobody. When the weather's nice, my parents go out quite frequently and stick a bunch of flowers on old Allie's grave. I went with them a couple times, but I cut it out. In the first place, I certainly don't enjoy seeing him in that crazy cemetery, surrounded by dead guys and tombstones and all. It wasn't too bad when the sun was out, but twice, twice, 
We were there when it started to rain. It was awful. It rained on his lousy tombstone, and it rained on the grass on his stomach. It rained all over the place. All the visitors that were visiting the cemetery started running like hell over to their cars. That's what nearly drove me crazy. All the visitors could get in their cars and turn on their radios and all when then and then go someplace nice for dinner. Everybody except Allie. I couldn't stand it. I know it's only his body and all that's in the cemetery, and his soul's in heaven and all that crap, but I couldn't stand it anyway. I just wish he wasn't there. You didn't know him. If you'd known him, you'd know what I mean. It's not too bad when the sun's out, but the sun only comes out when it feels like coming out. After a while, just to get my mind off getting pneumonia and all, I took out my dough and tried to count it in the lousy light from the street lamp. All I had was three singles and five quarters and a nickel left. Boy, I spent a fortune since I left Pensy. Then what I did, I went down near the lagoon, and I sort of skipped the quarters and the nickels across it, where it wasn't frozen. I don't know why I did it, but I did. I guess I thought I'd take my mind off getting pneumonia and dying. It didn't, though. I started thinking how old Phoebe would feel if I got pneumonia and died. It was a childish way to think, but I couldn't stop myself. She'd feel pretty bad if something like that happened. She likes me a lot. I mean, she's quite fond of me. She really is. Anyway, I couldn't get that off my mind, so finally what I figured I'd do, I figured I'd better sneak home and see her, in case I died and all. I had my door key with me and all, and I figured what I'd do, I'd sneak in the apartment, very quiet and all, and just sort of chew the fat with her for a while. The only thing that worried me was our front door. It creaks like a bastard. It's a pretty old apartment house, and the superintendent's a lazy bastard, and everything creaks and squeaks. I was afraid my parents might hear me sneaking in, but I decided I'd try it anyhow. So I got the hell out of the park and went home. I walked all the way. It wasn't too far, and I wasn't tired or even, or even drunk anymore. It was just very cold and nobody around anywhere. End of chapter 20